Hi, and welcome to Quick and Gritty Takes. This is our independent news network where we're actually gonna discuss hot topics in news provincially, nationally, and internationally. We will take about four to five different news items and in under three minutes, really discuss our gritty takes on the subject matter. My name is Amy Archibald Barley. And my name is Sarah Fung. We'll be your hosts for this today. We really hope this can be a forum where you take these topics and continue the conversation and maybe some of these will even develop into full podcast episodes. We also want to add a patient safety tip at the end for all listeners because we feel that increasing health literacy and patient advocacy and patient safety is always top of mind for us. So without further ado, we're going to talk about the headline for Ontario for this week. Health Minister Sylvia Jones announces that starting this spring, the government will expand the number of private surgical and diagnostic centers. This is going to be OHIP covered. So this is our provincial uh, health insurance plan. It's going to be covering this. Amy, what's your hot take on this? Well, my instant reaction is we are going to get use um you know our taxpayer dollars so the money that we invest into like that we pay from our taxes to private to fund private clinics so again i just think this is ludicrous we have seen time and time again there was actually an article that came out very recently that said you know the money that are that we're using um is 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 like an overspend, right? We're spending more more money in the private sector than we are in the public sector. And I think we've been saying this myself, you, various other physicians, other people across Canada have been like, okay, um, we have surgical centers, surgical like within our hospital walls that are not being used from four o'clock onwards. Why are we taking this approach to put more money into private entities versus using what's already existing? And my take and my thought on it is, well, if it's not going to serve, um, if it's not going to serve Doug Ford or the the conservative government, then and it's not going to make and it's going to make the money, then they're going to do stuff like this. This is why we continue to see this slow creep of, you know, using things like Staples, Walmart to put, you know, um, our, our, our funding into using, again, our tax dollars in a non-fiscally responsible way. And they're supposed to be fiscally conservative. There's nothing conservative about it. I think this is really interesting because if you didn't really look into it and you missed the word private, you would think, oh, this is good news because now the backlog, the wait list is going to decrease. I'm going to get the surgery I need. And the other thing is that it's going to be OHIP covered. So if people only caught that part, they'll think, okay, this is great because I don't have to pay for it. But actually, you are paying for it with your taxpayer dollars. And we're we're going down the slippery slope now of more privatized health care, but with the seal of approval from the government. So we think it's okay and it's publicly funded. And I think, like you said, Amy, we have the infrastructure already to provide this in our publicly funded hospitals. So why are we not doing it? And also, I'm concerned about the oversight. Like, what are these clinics charging to the government? And what are we as taxpayers going to be paying for at the end of the day? I completely agree. I think those are like the key points that people need to really start considering and thinking about. Again, like I saw even some people commenting and saying, oh, you know, you guys, um, this is this is this is good. There's going to be more access to surgery. It's like, well, there's more access to surgery at the cost of the end user, which is us still paying taxes into it. So, again, I think people need to really give their heads a shake and start thinking and looking to solutions that we already have, like, Again, pressing the question, why aren't we using ORs that are available at four o'clock? And then again, where are they going to get the staff from? We're going to be pulling staff from places where, you know, it's probably an incentive to make more money in a private clinic. But then we need those nurses and other staff 
physicians in the hospital walls. But that's our gritty take for that headline. We're going to move into uh, talking about something a little bit more nationally before we move into international. So I saw this tweet and I thought it was hilarious. Um, and Kevin Sorbo, you know who Kevin Sorbo is, right, Sarah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the guy who played Hercules, and clearly he's like far, far right winged individual. He's a Trump supporter. Anyways, so what I saw was he had put something out on Twitter and said that Canada has no idea um, in terms of their rights. We don't have rights here in Canada, which I thought was crazy. Let me read this again. He says, you don't have any rights, so you so you wouldn't understand why we want to keep ours. And this was in relation to a Canadian who was asking why would anyone want to vote for Donald Trump in 2024, 2025? And he's like, I can't see why. Um, I want to put the narrative down to the fact that we have tons of rights in Canada. And it is such an interesting point and take that Kevin Sorber would say that we don't have rights here when clearly we see every day that they're peeling back the rights, whether it's in relation to women's rights, whether it's in relation to human rights in the United States of America. So I think it's rich for him to be like, oh, you have no rights in Canada when we have way more rights and i think this is a, a slippery narrative that they want people to believe here in canada that because of the convoy and these various different things that we don't have a say in our government that we don't have rights it's a false narrative we have way more rights than folks right now in the united states of america um we're seeing the crippling of even when it comes to talking about free speech and these things i think we're doing a pretty good job so i think again the idea that we don't have rights is a false narrative and it's a false narrative to push people into fear and to thinking that you know canada is this broken nation and i think that's a big problem and i think people need to again think about why these things are being said and to think about the rights that we do have we have a pretty free country and it's i think we're doing a lot better than the u.s i take deep offense to someone who says who cares you're canadian who cares so first of all i'm really offended by that statement secondly how does he know we don't have rights, okay? This is his opinion. It's misinformed. It's actually really uneducated to say that we don't have rights. So full disclosure, I used to work in a clinic that provided abortions, and that's still allowed in Canada. I can't say the same for the state. So I don't know what rights he's talking about because we have more women's rights. We have more reproductive rights. We have more rights when it comes to our bodies than the states does. And I think that people sometimes think that when you're living in a certain country and you only know the laws of your country that every other country is inferior to yours. And I have to disagree with that one. Yeah, I agree with you. I think when I, when I saw the statement, I was just like, this is rich, Uh, especially seeing a headline just recently where, you know, this poor individual, and maybe we'll even talk about this on an episode of an individual who delivered a baby in a toilet had a miscarriage and they charged her and they were going to try to put her in jail and, the, and thankfully the judge and had some sense and was like this is not a criminal case we're not going to prosecute someone for having a miscarriage but she was looking at having a pretty hefty prison uh, sentence so again um I was going to say, F you, Kevin Sorbo, telling us that we don't have rights. We have way more rights. And you're spinning a false narrative that is trying to scare Canadians into believing your nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to our international story. Some nurses may have heard of Lucy Letby. So she was convicted and found guilty in the deaths of seven babies. But authorities are now looking into the suspicious deaths of over 4,000 babies. Wow, I don't even know what to make of this. Amy, What what's your hot take on this one? Because I feel like this is something that I call peeling back the onion. It's like when you find something that's gone wrong, you start investigating. And then the more you investigate, the more you find that there's 
10 other issues that you didn't know about. So the deaths of seven babies now have turned into this massive investigation of 4,000 babies. Yeah. So my hot take on this one, when I, when I really think about the, 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 the beginnings of the story, they, they kind of juxtaposed her as this like angelic kind of presence, which was kind of weird. Um, I was seeing kind of, you know, they, they're just like, oh, she's got a soft face. She looks so nice, so unassuming. And I feel like, unfortunately, they tend to do this a lot with white women. Yes. Um, I think she tend she got away with this because she, you know of all of these narratives. Oh, she's she's the good nurse. She's really attractive. She seems so nice and gentle. But clearly, underneath that um, that coating, I guess, was that wolf in the sheep's in the sheep's clothing. And I think this is where we need to really start changing our viewpoints on how we might perceive people in terms of just looking at their physical appearance. Because when I was looking at some of the uh, the evidence in relation to this case, they were talking about like. There were lots of instances where she was on and babies were getting sick. Like this is, we need to start trusting our gut and our intuition. And I just, my heart just goes out because I, I think to myself about, you know, I had two babies that were in the NICU and they are one of the most vulnerable, like they are a part of that vulnerable population. Anybody who comes to the hospital is vulnerable. But again, you're talking about like a preterm infant that they they don't have any ability to to say that, you know, something of harm is happening to them. They, you know, they, they're entrusting and the parents are entrusting us to make sure that we're looking after them. So this is a, a case that is insidious beyond belief. I think that, of course, racism did play a part in it. And the fact that they're looking into 4,000 other babies, I, I'm I'm very concerned. I think this is maybe, maybe this is an episode that we flipped to, um, oh my goodness, what's his name? Come on, Sarah. Bruce Sackman, gonna... Bruce Sackman. Bruce Actually, Sackman. The, the whole time totally you're talking this about to Bruce this. Sackman and yes. like, what do you think? This is another case of maybe potentially a nurse who is a, a serial killer. Yeah, this is crazy because I was actually just looking this case up and it really hits close to home because both of us were needing nurses back in the day. And, you know, it's not just that nurses are the most trusted profession, but I think particularly when you're working with children, when you're working with newborn babies, they're even more vulnerable because the parents aren't at the bedside 24-7 and these babies obviously can't talk and they can't communicate. So the fact that she did this so many times makes me sick. And the fact that it took this long to realize she was behind it, I think we should definitely have Bruce Sackman on to talk about his red flags protocol and the fact that, like you said, when she was on, the death rate went up when she mm -hmm. wasn't on the unit the death rate went down so if you look at data over time of course this takes actual investigation we would we would start to see a really clear pattern and i think that sometimes you need to go with your gut but the thing is when we when we whistleblow sometimes there's back blow to that person right. too so we need to be more open to people raising concerns and actually investigating them yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think this is where, again, um, we need we need whistleblowers. I think this this is a I, I get probably another little tip that we can talk about on an episode or talk about a little bit more fulsome. But whistleblowing is hugely important and we need policies around that. So we're coming into the final uh, little hit of our um our independent gritty nurse takes. And we're going to talk, we want to really hammer in some patient safety tips. We know that folks out there um, navigating the healthcare system is not easy. So we really want to leave folks that are listening with a patient safety tip. So it starts out with saying, you've got questions for your doctors, but you always forget to ask to ask them and this happens to me all the time and here's my little tip and trick and uh, Sarah definitely chime in 
um, whenever I have an appointment now, I actually just use my phone. Um, and if you don't have a phone, you can use a pen and a pad, whatever the case may be is. And I write out my questions. Um, I know they're going to try to zip in 15 minutes in, 15 minutes out, whatever the case may be is. But I say to you, um, if you have questions and you know that once you sit in that office, you, you know, maybe you get white coat syndrome or whatever the case may be, or, you know, they're in so fast and they're trying to leave, make sure you ask those questions, write them out beforehand and make sure that you, you ask those questions you have a right to, to 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 your information and to finding out and learning more about your health condition or asking questions about things that you might not understand in that appointment as much as they try to make it really fast and rushed please ask the questions and definitely use your iphone use the notes pages section or you know write your questions down on a pen pad yeah, you actually hit the nail on the head. That's what I was going to suggest. So as soon as I make an appointment, anything I think of, I start adding to my list, right? Because in the moment, you're going to forget. The other thing I would suggest is if you can bring someone with you, bring them with you because they may remember to ask the questions that you don't or based on what uh, the conversation is, they may have questions that you haven't thought of. And the other thing is when the doctor or whoever is rambling off all these things it's helpful to have a second person to kind of hear the same conversation to remind you of what they've said. So I call this the doorknob conversation, right? The doctor's on their way out, they've got their hand on the doorknob, and then you think of something you need to ask, and then you think of something else. So if you can just let them know right away you've got some questions and you wrote them down or you put them in your phone, then that also kind of triggers them to be like, oh, did you have other questions? Because I'm, you know, I've got a couple more minutes, but those are that's my hot take. I want people to understand that you do have a right to ask questions if you need to even make another appointment to ask questions that you forgot about the first time. No, I love that. I think that's perfect. So again, thank you for listening to our quick and gritty takes, our independent news network where we discuss hot topics provincially, nationally, and internationally. Make sure that uh, you also tune in and to our podcast, The Gritty Nurse Podcast. Again, my name is Amy. And my name is Sarah. And we will continue bringing our gritty takes every other week and in conjunction with our podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks. Bye for now.